Amen. You guys, go ahead and take a seat. Good morning. It's so good to to be back. Um, Last week, I had the opportunity to go down to the Dominican Republic with Joey and be a part of um, our church that we've helped support launch. And they gave this cool little thing for our church, and I figured I'd share it with you guys. Uh, Basically, when as we open up the book of Second Timothy today, uh, I want I want to just remind you that this is what Paul was doing, and this is what we get to do is we get to help be a part of church launches all over the world. So as you guys have been generous to our church over the last three and a half years, this is the second international church plant that we've been able to help come behind. One in London, and now in the Dominican Republic, and it was really awesome to be down there in Santo Domingo. It was a, a lot warmer than here, and. Uh, there was, I think there was a couple hundred people from the community that came to worship at this church launch, and it was just neat to see a couple different Summit Network churches be there that supported them, and to watch uh, Manuel get to take that and run with it in a city like Santo Domingo. So I'm really encouraged by that. Thanks for your generosity and continuing to do that. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, matter of fact, if you have one of those green Second um, Timothy journals, I'd love for you to grab that. We're going to use those journals for the next several months as we walk through the book of 2 Timothy. Grab that. Meet me over in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have one of those, Gustav in the back, if you'll just raise your hand, he'll grab you one and he'll bring it to you because, again, we're going to use that throughout the entire um, throughout the entire sermon series, so it'd be good for you to have that, all right? One of my favorite stories comes from my favorite C.S. Lewis book called The Four Loves, where he talks about having a relationship, a friendship with a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. And, and he talks about how the depth of his friendship that developed over their time as professors at Oxford University um, went so deep that he, he, he loved Tolkien with what he called the fourth kind of love, a, an agape love, a godly love. As a matter of fact, it got to the point where when Tolkien died, he said, I didn't just lose my friend, I lost a part of myself. I have a couple friends like that. I don't know if you do. I I have one in particular, if you've been friends with me at all, you've heard me talk about him. His name is Will. Will is a friend of mine that uh, I talk to more than just about anybody on this planet other than my wife. Like the proverb says, he's, he's a friend that tends to be closer than a brother. Um, when I go through tough times, Will's the first person I call. When I need unbiased advice, he is my sounding board. Uh, him and his wife have actually even become the aunts and uncles to my kids. Friendship is one of the greatest gifts from God. When, when, when we realize this, and when we see the way that God has designed us for community, it changes everything. However, most stats show that people don't have friends. Matter of fact, since 1985, the number of people that we confide in, according to stats, went from three to two, and 25% of people in the U.S. claim to have no friends at all. I would say that it's probably even worse since the pandemic has started. Maybe the next great pandemic in our world is going to be a pandemic of friendships. And listen to what Harvard says. Harvard says that one in four Americans are severely lonely, starting with 36% of all Americans are lonely, 61% of young adults are lonely, and when they say lonely, severely lonely, and 51% of moms are lonely. I'll I'll be honest with you, the last one hit me hard, because when we moved to Alpharetta um, to help start this church, you know, I hit the ground running, I'm working, my, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. It took me about two years to realize that she just, she doesn't get the opportunity to go out and make friends the way that I do. Well, what that does to you is it creates an isolation in you that is really hard. 
It's hard to get through the difficult times of life whenever you do life on your own. Over the next six months, or several months, sorry, I want to walk through a journey of what I would consider as deep theology, close friendship, and a design for how to have life and joy. That's what the book of 2 Timothy is all about. So today, I want to set the stage by showing you how Paul had a friendship that went deep. Look at verse 1 with me. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the verses you tend to skip right over, but there is a lot going on here, so let's break this down. Second Timothy. Second Timothy is the last recorded letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He was most likely sitting in a Roman prison cell under the Emperor Nero awaiting his death. We know that because he tells us that at the end of Second Timothy that his death is imminent. Nero, if you know anything about him, was particularly brutal. Um, by the time that this book is written, in around the mid-60s AD, Nero is persecuting the church so badly that he is killing all the Christians he can. Matter of fact, if you know historical uh, events, in AD 70, the emperor of Rome tears down the temple in Jerusalem, which is one of the most historic, uh, horrifying events in all of Roman history. My, my wife had the opportunity to go to Rome while we were dating. Um, I was just the boyfriend at the time, so I didn't get invited, but I'm not bitter. I actually barely even remember that it happened. Um, anyway, she, she went, and when she was there, she got to go visit the site that Paul was probably imprisoned. When I think about prison cells, it, it's not what you would think. It was a hole in the ground to where you probably couldn't even stand up uh, upright. And you know Paul had been beat down so many times, you probably couldn't stand anyway. There was puddles of water on the ground. It was dark. It was humid and just a little hole in the top of the, of the wall to him see out. This is where Paul penned the book of 2 Timothy. If you go and you read the book of 1 Timothy, there is a, there's a ton of excitement in Paul's voice. He's expectant. He's ready to go visit Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. You read the book of 2 Timothy, the tone changes. It's almost like Paul has resigned himself to the fact that he is going to die. Now, why does all this matter? Well, think about this. This amazing letter from the Apostle Paul, the very last thing that he wrote, let me ask you a question. If you had one last thing to write, what would you write? Or who would you write it to? Think about that. Let me ask you that question. If you knew you had one last thing to say, what would you say? Because all of life boils down to these last moments. And you have your memoir, your, your magnum opus, and, and you're thinking, what is the one thing that I want to leave on earth? Well, that's what Paul's about to do. Maybe you write your family a letter explaining to them how much you wish you would have done together. Or you, you leave a legacy of achievement so that your great-grandkids know how big of a stud you were in high school. Like you're leaving your letterman jacket and those type of things. Maybe, maybe you confess a deep, dark sin. Right? That you know that you don't want to take to your grave with you, so you hold, you've held on to it your whole life, but you don't want to hold on to it anymore. Maybe you call your family in to reconcile and ask for forgiveness. To do that so that you can free them up from the hurt of having to live with no closure over that situation. Have you ever thought about what you would do? What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to work on living and having those conversations now so you don't have to live with regret later. So if it's I want to spend more time with my family, then go do it. Here's one of the things I've learned over time is quality time does not matter nearly as much as quantity time. I have 
uh, three kids and now one on the way, right? Uh, and, he, you know, my kids, whenever I ask them what their favorite memories of me is, it's not going to Disneyland. It's just wrestling in the room on a Sunday afternoon. Matter of fact, their, 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 their favorite times with me have nothing to do with any of the big moments that we ever plan. It's the mundane quantity time. So just go spend time with your family. That's why, by the way, your kids, they care more about the box than they do the present, right? They think about the world differently than you do. Maybe you're holding on to that deep, dark secret. Listen, if you're holding on to that deep, dark secret, you're in a prison cell that you're, that it's almost like Jesus is sitting there saying, the door is wide open, just walk out. You keep imprisoning yourself to the one thing that you don't have to. You're putting yourself back into bondage when freedom awaits you. And the same thing is true of forgiveness. The reason why so many of us are bitter is because we haven't learned how to forgive. And, and hear me whenever I say this, I give a caveat to this every time. Forgiving people doesn't mean that you have to reconcile every single situation, right? So I've been in some of these hard situations where, where it's not safe to be there. If that's true, then, then be wise. It doesn't mean you have to walk back into abuse to forgive somebody, but you release yourself from that. That's what if, what if we took the time now so that we don't have to live with regret later? Go back to verse 1 with me. Let's, let's walk through this step by step. Paul Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of life that are in Christ Jesus. Now, this might sound simple, but we're going to be in this book for a long time, so let's, let's just break this down. Who wrote the book? Paul, right? Paul. Now, who was Paul? Paul, according to this, Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So let's unpack that statement. That word apostle, the apostolos, the, the Greek word, literally means to be a messenger. Here's what I love about what Paul is about to tell you. Paul is a messenger, but he's not coming with his own message. He's a messenger by the will of God, right? If you take notes, that's a really important statement. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What Paul is saying is you are about to hear scripture. By the way, one of the reasons we know that these words matter is because of how Paul says it. When Paul says he wrote this, he's not giving you his opinion or his advice. He's telling you that he is about to write the very words of God. You see, in order to be a part of the New Testament, if you didn't know this, how a lot of people ask, how, how do these books get put in the New Testament? Well, you had to be either an apostle or you had to be a scribe and an apostle. Let, let me explain, like Mark. If you ever look at the Gospel of Mark, Mark's not an apostle, right? Well, he was the scribe of Peter and Paul. If you go read the book of Acts, he traveled with them. So basically, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you're pretty much getting the words of Peter. Paul is telling you the same thing. I am an apostle that I spent time with Jesus. And that word apostle, it's not just a messenger. When it's used in the Bible, it's used as a title, like pastor or deacon or an apostle. It carries weight. These aren't just, these aren't just people. These aren't just messengers. These are the very few people that spent time face-to-face -face with Jesus, and they get to write the very words of Jesus. Last thing, by the way, if you're thinking, well, Paul didn't spend time with Jesus. He was a terrorist when Jesus was around. That's pretty astute, but if you actually go read the book of Galatians, he tells you that after he was converted, he spent years with Jesus alone, and he learned from him directly. So that's who wrote this book. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, here's where I want to camp out for a little bit. Did you notice how Paul talks about Timothy? My beloved child. That, that word beloved child actually comes from 
the same root word as agape. It's agapitas. So it, it means something deep. He's telling you that he has a God-like love for this guy. A deep friendship. Here's the point. We were designed, we were designed to live in community. When Paul wrote his final words, he didn't write to a church. He wrote to a person. I've heard it said that um, when you go to a gravesite and you look, at the, you look at the two dates, right, the beginning date when you were born and the end date whenever you die, I've heard it said that, that both of those dates are surrounded by community. If you have kids, when you come into this world, you're surrounded by community. There are people all around you. There's physicians. There's nurses. There's a hospital. Uh, from, in my situation, we had family that flew into town when our kids were born, and when you die, you go to a funeral, and there's people there celebrating you. The greatest travesty in life is you begin your life with community, you end your life with community, but the thing that bookends the two seems to be, seems to be loneliness. I, I just think that when you look at this, the problem is, is God has designed us for so much more. What if it wasn't designed for you to come in and leave in community and then live the rest of your life lonely? What if you were designed to live life together? I mean, think about this. You were made in the image of God, Right? You, you realize that as being made in the image of God, you reflect the attributes of God, and the, the God that you reflect is a trinity, which means the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have all lived in community together. They've eternally existed this way. You were designed to reflect the same community that God has made in himself. The, the way that we do that's through the church. We weren't supposed to live life alone. I know this is super simplistic, but write it down. Friendship matters. Friendship matters. It matters so much that it can literally change who you are. One study I was reading this week said that we do the same exact things that our friends do. It said 60% of the time, if your friends gained weight, so do you. If they lose weight, so do you. You tend to mimic the people around you. I've said this before, but you show me your five closest friends, I'll show you what your future looks like. We are the sum total of our friendships, which means one of two things, or it means this. It means that we absolutely need deep friendships. I'm around guys all the time, and I think that that's the one thing that I see missing among guys is we just don't have friends. Something is missing in a society that doesn't prioritize deep friendships, and if you read the Bible, you notice that there are deep friendships all over it. Jesus had close friends. David had close friends. Paul had close friends. It's why the highest prescription drug in America that is given out is antidepressants. You see, even Allison and I, we set aside a day a week where we actually go and we hang out with other people, not ourselves. We have our date time, and then we have a time where she can go out with her friends, and I go out with my friends because we've realized that there is absolutely vital uh, power, if you will, in having friends of the same sex as you. Our friends have more power and more influence over our lives than what we think. But even more than that, if you don't have deep friendships, there's a void that causes all kinds of problems. Because we need to know, especially during this time when things are crazy. I mean, I, 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 just transparently, over the last two weeks, there have been more people that I've heard that have COVID than in the last two years combined. It's like we're dropping like flies over here. There have been moments over the last two weeks where I'm like, is it gonna, are we ever going to get through this? But then when, when we show up together here and we're in community, it's a reminder that we are going to be okay. Like we're not in this alone. We're all gathering and we're all battling this together. I just believe, I believe that life is meant to be a team sport, not an individual sport. And when we do it alone, we miss out on the fact that it's going to be okay. This is why community is ingrained into the fabric of the Bible.
Did, did you know this? The entire Bible is written in a communal language. It assumes community. It assumes that we do it together. It's all plural. Here's number two. The type of friends we have, the type of friends we decide to have matter so much. Craig Rochelle, a pastor out in Oklahoma City, I love the way he says this. If we get our friends right, they'll set us up for success. On the flip side, if our friends are idiots, they'll drag us down to where they are. Isn't that true? You know, there was a, uh, <laughs> there was a scientific study about fish. Apparently, uh, fish swim in schools on purpose, and, and they have something in their brain that makes them swim together. So a bunch of scientists found out where that place is in their brain, and they did a partial lobotomy to pull this out of a fish to see if the fish would still swim in a school. Well, he takes it out of his brain, they put it back in the water, and the fish swims off by itself because it has half a brain. What was fascinating, though, is that all the other fish started following that fish. You know, here's, here's the takeaway of that. Even an idiot has followers, right? Somebody with half a brain can have a follower. I, I see this all the time. You look on social media. Things start trending. You're like, how'd that happen? Here, here's the point, and here's the warning. Everyone, every one of us is a leader, and every one of us is a follower. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, this is going to be true. If you have the right friends, it's going to set you up for success because we naturally follow and people naturally follow us, but if we have the wrong ones, it's going to set us up for failure. The people who are closest to us need to be the same people of value that we have. By the way, this is why my primary relationships are the people in this church. This is why I hang out with the people in my small group and our elder team more than anybody, because I recognize that I can't hang out with everyone, so I choose the people that I'm going to hang out with that are going to make me look more like Jesus. See, Timothy was Paul's people. He chose to hang out with him. He loved him with a godly kind of love. Even in the book of Philippians, Paul says this about Timothy. Look what he says. He says, for I have no one like him. By the way, in Greek, that I have no one like him. It's the only time in the Bible that this is said. It's something like, I have no one like-minded like him. I have no one that's completely together like him, who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, although Timothy is in his 30s by now, although he is a pastor in the church at Ephesus by now, Paul, Paul seemed to have a deep friendship with him, and he knew that he needed encouragement. I, I find this fascinating. Timothy's a guy that seems to have it all together, and yet Paul, knew, Paul knows that he needs to be encouraged. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to show you this, the rest of the first chapter of the book of 2 Timothy is all about Paul reminding Timothy to fan the flame of his calling. He reminds him, he encourages, encourages him, finish well. God has called you to do this, my friend, keep going. Think about that. Think about the type of friend that Paul must have been. He's sitting in a Roman cell. He's probably depressed. Life's not going well. And he takes his last moments to write his friend to say, just keep going. I know you might be struggling. And the struggle is real, but just keep going. Think about your own life. Think about when the diagnosis comes. Do you have people around you that can just say it's going to be okay? I was talking to a friend the other day who uh, was diagnosed with melanoma. And I was like, hey man, just don't write your own worst story. God has written a story for you and you don't know what the end result's going to be. Because the reality is, is our, our mind, if you're normal, your mind goes to the worst possible scenarios. But you need people that can lift you up out of that. So when you start asking those big why questions, 
those big why, why me questions. And again, they're there because things deeply hurt whenever that happens. Even, even we have felt that way. My family over the last couple years have struggled with those big why questions, right? God, why did you call our family to move across the country and to start a church during a pandemic? Why did you do this? Why was such a time as this? God, why did you make me crazy enough to have a fourth kid? No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I like that one. Um, you get the point, though? When you get by yourself, you start asking those why questions, and there's no resolution to those. You need encouragement because encouragement is powerful. During such a difficult time, Paul encouraged Timothy. Like, here's how powerful this is. According to stats, 50% of people will leave their job this year. Watch this. 70% of those people said that they wouldn't if somebody would just encourage them to stay. Listen, I hear people say all the time that they're, they have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I get that. Like, I get what you're trying to say, but there's nothing personal about your relationship with Jesus. It was never meant to be personal. Again, the Bible is written in a communal language so that we would experience Jesus together. We aren't meant to live this Christian life alone. I, going back to that illustration of the four loves at the very beginning, here's, here's what Lewis got to. He says that when you had Tolkien and himself in this relationship, he talks about another guy that was with him. He says, not only did I lose Tolkien, but I lost a part of myself because it was only in community that we knew each other fully. And he goes on to explain this, and he says, that's why we need community to know God. Because you might have an individual relationship with God, you might have an individual relationship with God, but we only get to see a part of him, and it's only whenever we come together that we actually get to see a full and complete picture of who God is, and a full and complete picture of who we are. The same thing was true with Timothy. By himself, he only got to see a glimpse, but together, in the encouragement, he gets to see a fuller and complete picture of himself and God. When we dig into community, when we live in the one another's and we encourage each other, we find, we find that God lifts us up and he lifts up the people around us. Timothy didn't need more doctrine. I'd imagine that Paul beat that into his head. Timothy needed to know that he could face the challenges of the future. He needed to know that God mattered and that he was called. He needed to know that people believed in him. I'm convinced that a lot of us, a lot of us are lacking because we struggle with the same things, don't we? I mean, we can put on a facade, but at the end of the day, we struggle with knowing that we matter. We struggle with knowing that, that we're called to do whatever we're doing and, and, and that we're secure in who that is. Like, even meeting together in person every week is a reminder that it's going to be okay. And when you come into this room, when you look at one another, when we laugh and we smile together, it is a reminder that it's going to be okay and that we're going to get through this. That's what Paul was doing for Timothy. In this hole in the ground in Rome, he writes to his beloved friend. He tells him, the guy who's pastoring the church at Ephesus, it's hard, but just keep going. Just keep going. Let me just, again, pause for a second, maybe be a little pastoral and tell you, listen, City Church. It's hard, but just keep going. I don't know what the circumstances are. If you're watching online, I don't, I don't know what you're going through right now, but listen, it's going to work out. You know how I know that? It's because you're building your life on the firm foundation of Christ and on his word. I, I love when, when, Paul talk, or when Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew. He says the storms will come. The storms have come, right? But the reality is, is as they come, you know what? 
if it's built on a firm foundation, you're going to get through those storms no matter what. So just keep going. Stop being so hard on yourself and just keep going. You realize Christianity Today put out an article recently that said more churches shut down during the pandemic than opened up. I'm going to be honest with you. We're, we're in a good place. Sometimes it's hard to see that because you got all the craziness of this world, but when you take a step back and you see the forest through the trees, what you recognize is that God has been kind to us, and we just need to keep going. Now, now watch this. Here, here's what's so powerful about that. As I'm encouraging you, do you know what God does? He reminds me. See, that's the power of encouragement. It flows in both directions. Not only do I need to speak that to you, I need to speak it back over myself. I need to hear those words. I, I just believe that when Paul sat in that prison cell and he's writing the book of 2 Timothy, he's not just encouraging Timothy, but he's speaking the truth back over himself too. As he's sitting there talking about how this power, the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus and the calling, he's sitting there reminding himself as he's probably wondering, God, what are you doing? He's reminding himself of the gospel, that God is good and that God is loving, that God has already done everything necessary to save him. And no matter what Nero does, his king is not on that planet. His king is up in heaven. And one day, one day it's all going to be okay. That's how encouragement works. I think God is pinning those words through Paul, to Paul and to Timothy. So when Paul says again in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That grace, mercy, and peace, it's the same grace, mercy, and peace that Paul needed to. That's the power of encouragement. Again, it flows in both directions. So here are a few things that this verse reminds us of. Listen to this. Even in difficult times, there's more grace in Jesus than uncertainty in this world. You get that, right? God is bigger than your circumstances. Again, I need you to feel the weight of this because sometimes we take the emotion out of what we're about to look at. And you grab this book and you, you think about the man who wrote this a guy who's dedicated his entire life to seeing the gospel go forward. And he's sitting in a hole in the ground, probably wondering, was it all for nothing? And he writes to his friend, grace, mercy, and peace. Because he recognizes that if the gospel is true, if the resurrection is true, then nothing's impossible. Nothing. Nothing is outside of the realm of God, God's gracious, loving kindness. And God will build his church 2,000 years ago when the Emperor Nero is trying to destroy the church and the greatest landmark in the world, the temple, gets torn down and everybody's wondering what is happening. Our Savior was murdered. The apostles are being killed. God still built his church because Matthew 16 is true. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Paul, sitting here in this moment, writing to his friend who probably needs encouragement, planting a church in a crazy city like Ephesus, and the reminder is, there is more grace in Jesus than uncertainty in this world, so just keep going. Imagine, imagine everything that they would have been going through. And here's why that's important. Circumstances don't change the goodness of your God. I think I quoted this two weeks ago whenever I was here, Elizabeth Elliot. It's not me and my circumstances, it's God in my circumstances that matter. You know, there's something powerful about being reminded of that. 
We, we need to know that circumstances don't change the goodness of our God. God is still in control. He's still bigger than your circumstances. I've told you this several times, but a God that's loving enough to die for you is big enough to take care of the circumstances you're going through. The question is, is do you trust him? I believe that that's the key to making it through this life with joy. Because oftentimes, and I don't care how well you know the scriptures, we forget this truth. And we need people around us to remind us in the good times and in the bad times that it's going to be okay. That God is so loving that he died for you and he's so caring that he wants to walk with you. And yet, even in those moments, you need to be reminded that it's going to be okay. Sometimes we need a community of people to remind us of this, don't we? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be for? Doesn't God use the people around us to remind us to just keep going? See, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And, God, and Paul says there's more grace and mercy and peace in God than anything in this world. It's a combination of those two things that will get you through anything. So over the next several months, as we walk through this letter, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see how all of this plays out, how it all plays out in everyday life, how the journey of life and the ups and the downs and the mountains and the valleys, how it's hard, and yet it's not meant to be lived alone. And as we live it in community, God tends to remind us of his goodness. There are going to be many times, many times when we're going to need a friend, when we're going to need a community to be known and loved in. That's why being a part of this church, guys, that's why it matters so much. I tell you this all the time. That's why it's powerful when we actually gather together in person. That, uh, somebody even sent me an article in the New York Times or something like that that, that that wrote that last week, why church matters and why we need to be together. Because it communicates that it's going to be okay. It communicates that God is going to write a story and that we need to experience it together. So let me just ask you this. Let me start, or let me end where we began. What if your life was a letter? What would you write? What if, as you speak right now, you're speaking into existence, either the goodness of God around you to the people that you walk with life with, or your lack of trust in God? What if you took out your calendar and you looked at your daily schedule and asked, what does my life communicate to the people around me? What would they say? What would you say? What if you found out that life was imminent and you had to, you had to write a letter? Who would you write it to? What would be in that letter? Do you communicate hope and trust in God to the people around you? On the flip side of that, let me ask you this, is do you have a friend in your life right now? When you think about the people who are closest to you, do they bring you up? Do you have somebody that you could write to and that could write to you? Or do they bring you down? Because here's the deal, life's not meant to be lived alone. Life is meant to be lived in community. So my question is, even as we start in this introduction, who are your people? Do you have a letter to write and do you have a Timothy? Are you a Paul? Again, what I'm going to show you next week is how this calling of this reminder of who you are in Christ matters so much. So let me just remind you as I close this one out today, who you are in Christ. Here, here's how much God thinks about you. Romans 5, 8, before you ever did anything good or bad, before you ever took your first breath, Christ died for you. It says The psalmist says that he knows every hair on your head. He knew you in your mother's womb. 
the God of the universe did not have to create you or I, and yet he decided to. He breathed life into you and made you different than any other being on this planet. And then he set his affections on you so that when you would run from him, he would put on flesh and he would run to you. That he would live your perfect life and that he would die your death and that he would raise from the dead in order to bring you into a friendship that would last for all of eternity. That's how worthy you are to God. And I think there are moments in our life that we need to be reminded of that truth. Because there are moments whenever it just seems like we're battling this life alone. And yet God says he will never leave you nor will he forsake you. Matter of fact, that was the very last thing he said before he left. You remember it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then the very last words, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. That matters so much. Even if you feel alone, even if you're sitting at home right now sick and you feel alone, you have a God who has never left you nor will he forsake you. Do you have somebody that you can remind that to? Are you the type of person that is a friend? Let me pray for you. Father, even in these two short verses of this introduction, God, it's, it's amazing to me what you can pull out of knowing, knowing just how important it is to be known, to have a friend, to walk and to be encouraged and to journey together. God, I'm just grateful that we, we're a friend of Jesus. Lord, we are sons and daughters of our King. I'm grateful that you that you didn't wait until we were worthy, and yet, God, you still love us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help to remind us of this truth every day. I pray that you would help us to be the type of people that would remind the people around us of that same truth. Lord, we love you and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.